Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, Matt and Ryan look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words! Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to Fill the space between a hard place and a rock is all we do but we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? A trips to telephones that are no different to you. Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself. My name is Ryan Placetti, and I am here to disentangle you from the Internet's bullshit. And I'm Matt Saintsing, the other guy, the other bearded white guy that will, I don't know, I guess I'm paddling in this shit river. I'm not sure. They can't see your beard, Matt. Well, but like, but the, first of all, the only people listening to this are friends and family. They know I'm bearded. They don't know you're bearded. I just let them in on that. Well, your map, friends and so. family don't know. My friends and family know. Well, you're um, uh, I feel like your your appearance changes a little more often than I am, even though my hair is getting kind of crazy right now. You do have a classic look. Yeah, and not a good one. Like, like a 1970s stoner look, I feel like, <laughs> is what I look like here. Yeah, that's what I'm going well, for. Well, you're going for it and you're fucking succeeding. You know that? Your hair, your beard, beautiful, luscious. What's your secret? Uh, I would have to say it's staying up late, not getting a lot of sleep and a lot of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but I think you had a uh, hair related user question uh, delivered to you by a good friend of yours. That's right. Lauren, friend of the show, by the way. Hey, Matt. My name is Lauren from Durham, North Carolina. For, longtime listener, first time caller. My wife just tried to tell me that if she got the shower really cold, it would help her hair. Is that true? Now, what's what's actually crazy about this? This must be going around on the Internet. Oh. My friend Alyssa posted the exact same question on her Facebook feed asking for feedback. Lauren and Alyssa basically asked the same question about whether it's better to use cold water or hot water to wash your hair. Now that we're talking about this, let's just jump right into it. As of 2017, the term cold showers, the searches were up 75% on Pinterest. So there is absolutely a trend of people looking into this question. I think that's just a lot of awkward bus boners. I was just about to say, like, cold shower. It's it's the one way it's like it's like if you watch Porky's, it's the one way, you know, of, of like getting rid of horniness is right. <laughs> yeah. So, Lauren, um, I hate to, I hate to, to, to tell it to you, but as it turns out, Castle is correct. This will be one of the many areas where she will be right uh, and you will be wrong in the course of your marriage. But cold water closes the pores, which really ensures your scalp remains cleaner. Uh, has less grease, oil, and all that other fun stuff in your hair. All right, well, I'm going to weigh in on this. As a man who has gone bald, I will tell you that I have only washed my hair with hot water throughout my entire life. And if correlation equals causation, (laughs) I I think it's safe to assume that you should probably, like, if I could go back and do it all again, I would wash my hair with cold water every single time. You would choose to have hair. Do you think the, <laughs> so with baldness, I think the issue is that the the when you wash with hot water, the pores open up so wide your hair falls out. Well, it's, <laughs> it's like a, like Lego hair, right? <laughs> no, I think I, I, you think you bring up an interesting point, and I think cold water it helps to control breakage, frizz, and other uh, hair problems that we all have. Particularly for those with curly hair, I have curly hair when it gets longer, as you can see. So cold water, it flattens all your ruffles, cuticles, and it locks in moisture to prevent the breakage. And according to a Chicago-based dermatologist, cold water will initially constrict the blood vessels. And what, what this will do, it helps to boost circulation as a natural response to being cold is to open up your blood vessels, right? Okay. You can imagine you're getting a whole rush of, 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 of blood to your skin, to your face. It's very good for your skin. I think Castle is 100% right. And... um. I think um, I will absolutely do this. However, the hack is that you could do this the last 10 seconds of your shower and you get the same results if you took a 15 minute cold shower. So um, one 2007 study actually found that two to three minute short showers will help relieve depressive symptoms. And if that's the case, then I should be living in the fucking cold shower. So I ran across something really cool on Facebook the other day. 
Are you familiar with the trolley problem? Oh, am I? Absolutely. Yeah. So the trolley problem, yeah, I've taken freshman philosophy, so I'm well versed in this, is uh, it's a thought experiment. So imagine there's a trolley and it's heading down a path on its on its track. And if you do nothing, the trolley will kill five people. But there's a lever. And if you pull the lever, it will only kill one person. So do you do nothing and sacrifice five random people that don't deserve to die? Or do you pull the lever and effectively kill one person who doesn't deserve to die? It's all about, you know, ethics and what we should be doing. Okay, so you summed it up really nicely. But uh, the trolley problem, it dates all the way back to at least 1905. It appeared in a University of Wisconsin questionnaire. but it ultimately gained prominence and most of the discursive activity around it took place after the 1967 publication by Philip Afoot, a philosopher with artificial intelligence and self-driving cars. It comes into that too. And Oh yeah. A computer in a car is going to have to figure out what to do if the self-driving car is about to run over a child or you have to slam into the wall and kill the driver. The car has to make that calculation like that. And scientists have to be able to fucking put that in ones and zeros, right? They have to be able to code that. How do you code ethics? And I, I feel like the driver, you paid for the car, so the driver should save your life, right, ethically. But then you're just saying we should barrel down and kill like a bunch of kids. It's crazy. There are definitely some economic and class issues associated with that. It's like, absolutely. I can can afford to buy a self-driving car. So should my car be programmed to save the person who can afford to buy a self-driving car? The Elon Musk's of the world. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think, yeah, class does come into it. And I think like there's this is all academic, right? These problems are being hashed out somewhere in like Southern California. Based on the the self-driving car scenarios, they're not academic. These are real world applications of the trolley problem. They're trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's academic in the sense that they're probably arguing about shit in the in a lab in Southern California. I actually know a guy. I like know a guy from a guy that I know. So, you know, a guy who knows a guy. I know a guy who knows a guy, essentially. And I know this guy, too. So I know two guys. And one of those two guys, he actually is working in artificial intelligence in Austin. It's kind of kind of a cool job. I, I really like to talk to him about this, but he and I aren't close at all. And I think it's kind of an asshole. Hope he doesn't listen to this. Exactly the person we want helping computers decide who lives and who dies. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Some hipster. So my favorite variation of this, though, is this is called the fat man version. Okay, not politically correct. So in, in, in this alternate version of the trolley problem, instead of pulling a lever, which is a fairly bloodless act, you're pushing a button. Yeah. You know, you're pulling a lever and then the trolley moves. But in this scenario, you have a trolley or a train moving down the tracks at a, towards five people and you're up on an overpass. And the only way to stop this trolley is by putting something heavy in front of it. Do okay. you push the fat man to save mm. five lives? The first question I have is how old is he and what is the average life of the people on board this trolley? There's lots of different versions that that deal with the people that are on the trolley or Like if you cause the trolley to derail and it rolls down a hill and there's a guy sleeping in a hammock in his backyard, he's going to be killed. He's in a banana hammock. Yeah. And I feel like, first of all, you're already a fashion victim if you're wearing a banana banana hammock. (laughs) I love the fat man one because it actually puts you directly at the like you were literally murdering somebody to stop the train. And then a variation of the fat man is the fat villain. (laughs) (laughs) You got to push the penguin off to save these people's lives. Danny DeVito is the penguin. (laughs) Yeah. But in this version of it, the fat man is actually the person who's responsible for the uh, the train being on the collision course to answer your question about the fat villain if he's responsible no absolutely bro i mean you break it you buy it yeah Yeah. you're 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 standing there right behind sir topham hat as thomas the tank engine (laughs) barrels down to murder five children do you push sir topham hat and what if uh, what if everyone on the tracks are fat? I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a judgmental person. I don't want to I don't I don't want to fat shame anyone. Absolutely. There is a fat shaming element. And I blame. The absolutely. Fa- I blame yeah. the fact that they were talking about this in the 1970s before we realized it was absolutely wrong to shame people because of their bodies, because not everybody's body is the same. And that's OK. But yeah. what if, it doesn't mean you should die for it. Yeah. <laughs> what if everyone on the tracks is overweight and the train is a rolling McDonald's. 
you can tell this is an American thought experiment. It involves fast food. Uh, well, <laughs> that's where you'd be wrong. It's actually a German thought experiment, and it's a German. It's more of a German reality experiment because. And this well, is aren't you the Mick Scheister? I know. I, <laughs> what got me on this topic is I was bruising around Facebook and I stumbled across this thing called the McTrain. Love it already. I'm 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 on board. You're on board. L- literally and metaphorically, I am on board. Toot toot. Let's go. The McTrain was actually developed as part of the German rail system. The idea was proposed in 1992. It went into service in 1993, and it operated for about two to three years. So this is post-unification. If you think about the Eastern Bloc's view of America in the <laughs> 1990s, it just makes sense. It's like McDonald's, blue jean, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely it's a symbol of capitalism, Western life. Uh-huh. I mean, on some, on some level, freedom, I would say. A certain view of freedom. Yeah. Ugly American tourists are just like, I just flew into this foreign country. Where's the McDonald's? I'm hungry. Where's the fr- Yeah, I know. I don't know why that is. But as soon as you get there, like you got to go, I got to see if it's really a Royale with cheese. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm actually I'm actually guilty of that. I found myself traveling abroad. I couldn't find a place to stay. And I knew the McDonald's was open 24 hours. And I was so close to just going to sit in a McDonald's overnight until I could figure things out in the morning. I feel like that is also in a very American thing to do. I, I, I can almost top, I can almost top that where I, I was in Dublin for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, and let me just tell you, I barely remember it, but I do remember me demanding to go get a shamrock shake in Dublin on St. Patrick's Day. Just drunk as shit. I, here's how crazy it was. The McDonald's had a bouncer and I walked in. And I said, I need to use a I need to use a bathroom. He's like, the bathroom's for customers. So I got a shamrock shake. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really interesting. What, what happened was basically McDonald's served as the dining car for this one route in Germany. And it crossed the okay. country. So it was a long haul route. And it had a lot of McDonald's classics on there. So they had hamburgers, cheeseburgers, Big Macs, a hamburger royale meat case. Did they have the McRib? This is probably way before the McRib. No McRib. And I would say that McRib is is probably just a, an American manifestation. But from what I understand, that according to Reddit r slash McDonald's, <laughs> the McRib is apparently available nationwide in Mexico right now. So holy shit, what are we doing here? I got to go out and get the McRib. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm just now that we're talking about the sandwiches of McDonald's. Do you remember the, it was something called like the big arches or something? When I was in middle school to so the late 90s. Are you talking about the like the long one? It's almost like a sub roll and they had like three burgers on it. Or was that Burger King? I think that was Burger King. And I the big arches. The only thing I remember is they had like some gorilla PR campaign. Were they just hiding the sandwiches next to people like somebody sitting at a park bench and somebody sneaks up and uh, drops a sandwich next to them? And then they just they watch them on <laughs> hidden camera to see if they eat the sandwich. It's like, well, it's still warm. It, no, it's one of those things where it, it was a commercial and they say on this day, I can't remember what day it was, fucking September 30th or whatever. It said on this day, McDonald's is going to get a little bigger. That was it. That's all you knew. And I remember on that day, I was like, hey, he's like, my dad's like, you want to go get some food? I was like, fuck yeah, can we go to McDonald's? He's like, sure, don't just watch your language. And the fucking McDonald's was packed. Let me tell you this. It was like crazy. We're here to find out what, how is McDonald's going to get a little bigger? They have a different version of the Big Mac. And it was just such a fucking letdown. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, this menu did not have a big version of the Big Mac. It just had the Big Mac. As as God intended, yeah. <laughs> <With a> special <laughs> sauce. Yeah. You can get your palm frites, your chef salad, your junior wrist. I, I can't speak German, uh, but you can also get spaghetti bolognese and tortellini and quiche Lorraine. Why the fuck is you go to McDonald's around the world and there is like regional cuisine? I went to a McDonald's in Alaska. They had the Mick McKinley burger. If you go to Hawaii, there's two menus of McDonald's. One is a regular menu. The other one is everything else, but with pineapple on it. Okay, <laughs> so that's yeah. Well, I, well, you know, on. Where, yeah. where I come from in Maine, actually, uh, Maine has some regional cuisine. Uh, you can actually get a McLobster sandwich. So I, I think those items like the tortellini, the spaghetti, all that was designed because they were taking over the dining services for the entire train. Okay, so they had to offer things that were outside of the typical McDonald's fare. I found out about this McTrain. Uh, uh, I was immediately distracted, and I said, "Well." <laughs> McTrains, McPlanes, McAutomobiles. <laughs> so I started like I started Googling feverishly. John Candy would have loved that, by the way. <laughs> so the McTrain led me to Googling McPlane. Uh, so the, the first thing I found was there is a franchisee in New Zealand who is running a McDonald's restaurant out of a retired plane. It's an old McDonnell Douglas. 
ironically enough. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's uh, just an old cargo plane and they've converted it into a McDonald's. So you can actually That's go cool. eat McDonald's in a plane. But and th- this is a much deeper cut. Interestingly enough, also kind of German. Uh, the original McTrain idea was floated in Switzerland first, but I guess they settled on the McPlane. Oh, so there was an actual flying plane. Ultimately, it took a little bit of digging for this one because it didn't it didn't pop up in my initial searches. Uh, it's on a German airplane enthusiast website, and they've got pictures of the interior and the exterior. And it's a uh, another McDonnell Douglas plane, uh, a little <laughs> bit more modern. And yeah. it's completely painted red with the golden arches and the little uh, Swiss flag in the corner and McDonald's written in their distinctive golden I'm loving it font on the side. So it is this a Swiss government plane or is this a McDonald's plane in Switzerland? So it was a collaboration between McDonald's and a tourism company. So they commissioned this plane. They built it out. And the idea was to market it to families. Uh, it, it apparently did not last very long. Um, I can't imagine why. Once I knew what I was searching for, I was able to find reporting on it in the Washington Post archives, which gives me a date of 1996 for when the program was launched. And since we never heard of it and it's not something obviously we're not flying around in McPlanes today. So I suspect that it was a very short lived experiment as people were like, why the fuck do I want to go on a McDonald's themed vacation? Yeah, it sounds, again, just like so American. I felt bad about going to piss in McDonald's in Dublin on (laughs) St. Patrick's Day, so I can't imagine flying around Europe. When the Big Mac drops from the ceiling, please place it firmly over your face before helping anyone else. <laughs> so, yeah, like I, I couldn't find any documentation for when the plane finally got grounded, but I assume sometime very shortly after its first takeoff. <laughs> but there's also yeah. the possibility that it just took off and never landed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like to think that there's a there's just a, an airplane full of skeletons in low orbit. <laughs> Oh, God, it, I feel like we could use it as target practice. McTrains, McPlanes, McAutomobiles, and there actually was a McAutomobile. So right. totally again, not surprising, not surprising. So this this uh, car and there's there's actually multiple of these cars, uh, but they would they'd go out in parades as kind of like floats and they're shaped like big Ronald McDonald clown shoes that I assume they're still out there. Because uh, people love classic cars. Nobody's going to let a McDonald's car go to waste. They have the McDonald's NASCAR. Talk about fast food. But oh. <laughs> <I> feel like <laughs> oh. there's uh, but nobody's actually eating on this thing. It's not like it's a McDonald's bus. I mean, I would be interested in that. That First of all, out of all the transportations, ones, a <laughs> McDonald's bus sounds like the the most degrading and the most one I'm interested in because I'm a fat it's, fucking pig. And <laughs> well, that that's just it. Like a McDonald's party bus. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I would go to a party on a McDonald's party bus. Like if it were just driving us from bar to bar and then you get back on the bus and you get fucking trash and eat French fries and Big Macs. I feel like uh, I feel like that that's something you want to incorporate. I mean, I would just get so fucking high and live on this thing. <laughs> what other forms of transportation has McDonald's dominated? The Mick submarine. Do they have a submarine? No submarines, to my knowledge. However, there is a Mick barge. Okay, uh, I like the nautical nonsense here. <laughs> I think why, why? Uh, so, would they have Huckleberry Finn just like eating a fucking like, so flurry? Kind of. So this was commissioned for the uh, Vancouver World's Fair Expo of 1986. I have heard of this barge. It's like a ghost barge out there now. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like abandoned. Yeah, it's abandoned. I've heard of this. So they built it out for about 26 million modern U.S. dollars. That's insane. That's insane. The most expensive. <laughs> Being accessible only by boat turned out to be a pretty big fucking problem for sustainability. <laughs> uh, it went out of use more or less immediately, and it's passed through various hands and, and gone through uh, various use proposals. It appeared in Blade Trinity as the Lair of the Night Stalkers. Uh, it's been proposed as various uh, like riverfront development projects. It's been <laughs> somebody wanted to convert it into a homeless shelter at one point. Well, that's what it should be, because Vancouver does have a huge problem. Vancouver, Canada, right? Yeah, Canada. Okay, yeah. There's actually a crowdfunding campaign in 2017 that was ultimately uh, that was ultimately canceled. They tried to turn into the Deep Ocean Discovery Center. So this boat's been floating around since 1986 looking for a purpose. I just think if I was the CEO of McDonald's, I'd be like, let's blow it up, turn it into the Mick Coral Reef. (laughs) Well, I mean, as boats goes, like boats, as boats, as boats goes, boats and hose, as boats goes, 
As boats goes, <laughs> you know, they boats tend to have a longer lifespan because they're expensive to make. There, there are boats floating around out there that have been in service since World War II. Well, there's also like military planes that have been flying since World War II, like the B the the B fifty two, right? Those uh-huh. have been flying around since the Cold War. This is before the Cold War. I want to say yeah. like in the fifties, maybe was when they came online. So I feel like yeah, as we attract new listeners, some of them will email us to offer some clarification on when the B-52 first came into service. My guess, if I'm if I'm a money making man, if I'm a betting yep. man, 1952. Yep. Uh, he, oh, shit. Yeah, mm. I said maybe the 50s. I said maybe the 50s. And was that I feel like it doesn't really work. I mean, the, the F-16 was not made in fucking the F-16 the F- was first dreamed of in 1916. <laughs> and it came to fruition when Tom Cruise was fucking <laughs> dropping bombs and dick and blondes. <laughs> sorry. Uh, apologies to Nicole Kidman. Uh, we feel we feel sorry for what Matt just said and also sorry for your marriage to Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm, I'm more sorry for that than I am the first ones. So. <laughs> <laughs> and she is, too, I'm sure. But the, the McBarge went out of business more or less immediately. However, that was actually McDonald's second foray into floating McDonald's is McDonald's McDonald's is um, what's the plural of McDonald's? What's what's a what's a group of McDonald's is together? What's that called? A uh, I believe it's called a food desert. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. No f- yeah. <laughs> That's a food oh, desert. Of McDonald's is <laughs> uh, uh, so. The the McBarge was actually less successful than its predecessor, the first floating McDonald's known as the McBoat. McBoat. I feel like it's like the Internet named it. (laughs) It went into service in 1980. The owner was actually uh, the first black McDonald's owner in St. Louis. uh, A man by the name of Dr. Benjamin H. Davis. So this is on the Mississippi. This boat. Yeah, so it's on the Mississippi and it's right next to the National Park where the St. Louis Arch is located. Okay. So originally he wanted to open up a McDonald's that was actually in the museum facility there. That's smart. Yeah. But they didn't want to uh, lease it out to private restaurants. So ultimately they, Mm. they set their eyes on this boat and then they moored it not that far away. Uh, He opened it up to great fanfare and was it it anchored or did it actually like cruise around? It was a permanent location, unlike the McBarge, okay. which was designed to move from town to town. And I, I don't know. I could see it working as a concession stand for Bo- Donald Trump boat rallies or something. <laughs> <laughs> they would literally eat that shit up. I feel like we would do a freedom of navigation operation through the fucking Taiwan <laughs> Strait with a McBarge just to be like, yeah, we're American and we're not going anywhere as long as we got a broken ice cream machine. So there's actually a lot going on here with this, because, like I said, he was the first black McDonald's franchisee in St. Louis. He opened the McBoat like he viewed it as as supporting his community. He hired young black people from the local community. He dealt with local local businesses to paint the boat, design the uniforms for the for the staff. And it it was a big project that celebrated the black population in St. Louis. I didn't know that McDonald's franchisees had that much sway over like uniforms and whether it's in a it's in a boat or not. I didn't know they had that 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 power. You know, just like medicine had the courageous age of medicine, I think we're dealing with the courageous age of fast food. This is the wild, wild west of fast food. Like, I mean, gateway to the west is, is St. Louis. So there you go. Right now, at the time of this recording, there is a big fight for a $15 minimum wage that is broadly supported across class lines and even party lines, which is crazy. There's there's nothing I feel like name one bipartisan thing. It's it's really hard to come up with. But this issue, at least in polling data, is very consistent. What counts for bipartisan amongst the population is not always what counts as bipartisan in Washington. Well, that's true. Politicians have very different motivations from the people that they represent, which is a hugely problematic issue. Uh, a majority of Americans support the idea of doubling the minimum wage to $15 per hour, according to a Reuters poll. I think the the, the people that have the loudest voice in the room are not the, are not the people that are going to know anyone who, who works on minimum wage. Right. And I think we're talking about, you know, pr- progressiveness, but I, the push for the minimum wage. But I think really the minimum wage partly has sunk in the Senate because of Democrats, too, specifically Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Kristen Semena from uh, Arizona, who essentially were part of the reason why it, it, it tanked in the Senate. The internal politics of the Senate are an entirely separate discussion from the minimum wage in a lot of senses, because all policy, all policy is is running into that same exact issue in the Senate right now. It's 
every single senator is the most important senator as long as they they withhold their vote. Yeah. It, yeah. And the fact that you couldn't get 50 votes in the Senate for this is, is kind of crazy. It, it is just um, well, shameful. Well, part of the problem is for the minimum wage right now, they need 60. Yeah, well, there are not 50 votes is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. So you can't even get the 50. Yeah, when you when you have 70 percent of the population in favor of something and then you can't even get 50 percent of the Senate, that's kind of that that's a mess. It points to a, an institutional issue, I, I would say. Yeah, there's there's definitely a disconnect there. But the most successful McDonald's franchisee in St. Louis right now is a guy named James E. Williams, Jr. And he credited his East St. Louis community for his success. So he was actually hired by the guy who founded the McBoat in St. Louis as a basically a burger flipper as a teenager. And now he's the most successful franchisee. So McDonald's tends to enter into the conversation of minimum wage pretty freely. People talk about flipping burgers, minimum wage employees, the types of people who work those jobs. And then, you know, if you took a Tucker Carlson argument, he'd say, oh, well, look at this guy. He started off flipping burgers and now he's doing this. He moved up. He didn't settle for minimum wage. So there's there's that sort of narrative. I don't want to talk about the economic relationship of fast food companies as a purely negative thing there. You know, they they have college programs and mentorship and management programs. And yeah, they you know, if you if you find yourself in the right spot, you might be groomed to become a franchisee or a partner in a franchise or a regional manager uh, or something like that. I don't think that that's everybody's experience, (laughs) obviously. Not everybody is being groomed for leadership. I mean, there are I mean, Jeff Bezos, one of the richest guys in the world, maybe the richest guy in the world now. I'm not actually sure. But he once once worked McDonald's and he has said that his favorite shift was Saturday morning and he liked to crack the eggs in a big bowl, which was he took that same idea to Amazon to how he treats their his current workers. He just cracks them, cracks them in the bowl. That's how you bust unions. <laughs> cracks them in a bowl, whips them all up. That is an uh, a major outlier. The American dream is to start off as a middle as a minimum wage employee as a teenager and then eventually grow up to bust unions and crush minimum wage employees under the heel of your boot. I've some people would say that is literally the American dream. Yeah. I think. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, McDonald's as the is often the focal point because a lot of these online arguments and what kind of spawn this is just the number of memes that I see from people who are anti minimum wage, who mm-hmm. frankly are not rich. Well, that's a whole nother discussion is everyone thinks they're going to be rich. So, they don't. oh, I don't want to be taxed like that when I make eight hundred thousand dollars a year. So we shouldn't tax them now. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go do my shift. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I see these memes all the time talking about how people working in fast food don't deserve a living wage because these are not respectable jobs that are worthy of a living wage. I have heard that these jobs were intended for like people in high school to learn the value of a dollar. And I think that theory doesn't really play out to the reality of working some working families that are living at or below the poverty line. And when you look at like direct monetary assistance type welfare programs, the primary recipient of welfare as we know it are single mothers who are working part time jobs. Yeah. And that is statistically just the case. The The vast majority of people receiving government assistance are working part time and are splitting and are splitting time between child care and their and their work. I reject that image of it as somehow less deserving of a living wage. Any job worth hiring somebody to do is worth hiring them enough to actually cover their expenses and the co- and the basic cost of living. And I think another argument you hear is, well, do you want to have a $30 McDonald's burger or whatnot? And I think that th- this kind of just breezes past that we have McDonald's's all over the country in cities that have a $15 minimum wage like New York City. Yeah. Right? Um, Seattle is working up to that right now. And how much does a burger cost in New York City? Probably more than it costs in in middle America, but it, it it's not insanely more, which is you know. part of that might be cost of labor. Uh, the cost of labor, you know, I've, I've run restaurants. Cost of labor is usually your biggest expense. Yeah, that's why they're always trying to cut hours and yeah. you know, creative math. To but figure that out. I'm actually glad that you brought up the rising price of McDonald's hamburgers because a big issue in America. <laughs> the Economist actually publishes yearly this thing called the Big Mac Index. It is. I, I love it. Every I, I, I'm very familiar with it. I love it. it is just as good as a Waffle House index, I will say. 
when they figure out what if hurricanes are how bad a hurricane is going to be is the Waffle House open on the coast of southern Georgia is what you need to know. Right. Yeah. Waffle House does not like to close. They they, they do not close. Yeah. They are definitely in that grind our minimum wage workers under the heel of everything. I feel like but they're always there for you as long as you don't work for <laughs> as long as you don't work for them. Right. So the, the Big Mac index is actually it was developed by the economist to basically quality control currency valuations. That's interesting. So what they what they looked at, they they said the Big Mac is a product that draws on many industries. I mean, how's how's the song go? Do you know the Big Mac song to all beef patty, special sauce, something, something on a sesame seed bun? Yeah, it's all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, tomato, tomato, onions on a sesame seed bun, I think is what it is. Right. So you're, you're drawing from the dairy industry. You're drawing from the meat industry. You're drawing from agriculture. You're dealing with bakers, you're transporting uh, McDonald's, you know, everything at McDonald's starts off frozen with the exception of the lettuce. So yeah. <laughs> so you have all these supply chain factors, you have you know, energy sector, you've got automotive sector. So there's all these things that affect real the estate too, the, the real estate la- land the the buildings that it's on yeah. labor. So the Big Mac is the product of so many industries that they're like, let's look at it this way. And it actually lists by country how much a Big Mac costs relative to the American Big Mac. So they take the average American Big Mac price, the average Australian, Norwegian, Swedish, Uruguayan. And the idea is like you can tell whether a currency is being devalued or overvalued. Manipulated, yeah. Based on the price of the Big Mac, uh, using the, the American Big Mac as kind of a baseline. All right. So if you look at, say, China... Uh, what they find is that the Chinese yuan is probably being undervalued by about 38.9%. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like China definitely manipulates their currency like all the, like every day. They're doing it right now. <laughs> what, what makes this useful is a lot of times people are pointing to fast food costs, saying fast food costs is going to go up if you raise the minimum wage. Well, it's pretty easy to Google what the minimum wage is in these other countries. That's a good point. You can compare it. If we look at a country like New Zealand, home of airplane McDonald's, grounded Air, airplane, McAir, the grounded McPlane, uh, <laughs> the ground beef, grounded beef McPlane. <laughs> so a Big Mac cost six dollars and 80 New Zealand cents. OK, I have no idea how much that is. Uh, how, how do you say that? New Zealand, six dollars and 80 cents or six dollars and 80 cents in New Zealand currency? I would say six eighty NZ is what I would say. Right. Would say. NZ NZD New Z, six fifty New Zealand dollars is what I think. I would say. <laughs> so the assumption here is that the New Zealand six dollars and eighty cents is approximately equal to five dollars and sixty six cents in the United States currency. The implied exchange rate of one point two or one point four, showing that the New Zealand dollar is about thirteen point nine nine percent undervalued. But what's interesting is New Zealand has a minimum wage of eighteen dollars and ninety cents per hour. They also probably have a higher tax bracket level relative to the United States. So they're they're being taxed more and they have a higher minimum wage, I would venture to guess. So the minimum wage in New Zealand is about $18.90 an hour. And there are exceptions for youth employment, training wages, et cetera. But that's the rate that best equates the U.S. minimum. If we use the implied rate from the Big Mac index, which is fair because we're comparing fast food workers, then the New Zealand minimum wage is about $15.75 U.S. dollars per hour. If we go by the actual exchange rate, uh, the minimum wage is thirteen fifty per hour, which is still significantly more than our seven twenty five federal minimum wage. Yeah. Nearly double. Yeah. Both converted values are considerably higher than the U.S. minimum wage of seven twenty five per hour. We'd expect the price of the Big Mac to go up considerably based on those increased labor rates. If labor were the only factor in the cost, we'd probably expect it to be between ten fifty two and eleven eighty nine for that Big Mac, about double the price. Well, one thing this really doesn't take into account is, I mean, New Zealand is a much smaller country physically, so you don't have to pay for a frozen beef patty to to go from Wellington to Auckland like you do from wherever the main uh, centers are in the United States to Detroit to all over the country. It's also worth noting that New Zealand has a thriving beef industry native, but otherwise, I mean, they're an island. So there there are other there are other cost factors that are going to balance that out. The United United States is a massive superpower with just huge economies of scale. 
that New Zealand probably doesn't have. Energy costs, too. I mean, pairing us with New Zealand isn't a one for one. Depending on how you are valuing that currency, whether you believe the Big Mac index and that the that the currency is undervalued or if it's just a straight one to one, then that means that the actual cost of a Big Mac in New Zealand is somewhere between 485 and 566. Hmm. U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars, which is cheaper than the U.S. average. Yeah, absolutely. So I, that really blows the argument out of, out of water for me a little bit. Yeah. So regardless of exchange rate, the labor required to produce a Big Mac is exactly the same in the U.S. and New Zealand. The fact that we can show that the cost of a Big Mac in New Zealand is equal to or less than the cost of the same product in the U.S. in spite of higher wages demonstrates that price was largely unaffected by differences in labor rates. Hmm. You know what else is interesting? What's that? U.S. McDonald's franchisees are reported to run at approximately a 19.8% margin. Wow. Okay. All right. Which is pretty good in the restaurant industry. Restaurant. Yeah, uh, yeah. Typical restaurants uh, operate between 3% and 10% net margin. Wow. That's it's it's razor. It's, it's razor thin for a lot of restaurants. Yeah. Like you really have to have your ducks in a row. And McDonald's is one of those companies that has mastered their supply chain. But what I thought was interesting was that the average New Zealand McDonald's has a 26% profit margin. That's a number that's inferred from the earned revenue of all New Zealand locations uh, post-tax profit. So in spite of having higher wages... They have more than double the profit margin. Uh, no, no. it's uh, The the profit margin for the U.S. was 19.8 versus 26%. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you said 13. I got you. They're almost 50% more profitable than American, uh, American McDonald's locations. Hmm. So not only is increased labor costs not a factor for them in terms of the cost of product, but they're actually more profitable. I feel like I have zero business acumen and it's about to show because if you just take those two variables together, what you could infer is, oh, well, we'll just we'll just raise our minimum wage and then I'll have more of a profit. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not necessarily true. So there's there's a lot of things here that we're not. Uh, they're, 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 to talk about. Well, there, there are a lot of factors that we may be unaware of, particularly on the regulatory side. Is real estate significantly cheaper in New Zealand? Are there government subsidies at work? There, there are a lot of factors. You know, it could be differences in menu, too. Like, uh, so the way the way McDonald's works is you have national level organizations that operate and approve McDonald's franchises. So New Zealand McDonald's is completely separately administered from American. They, they have a lot of autonomy within New Zealand. OK, uh, actually a franchise, if you will. <laughs> well, kind of. It's 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 more like they have a national branch that controls all the franchises in that country. So Hong Kong is a huge market. Japan is a you know, there, there are a lot of large McDonald's markets. I, I think Hong Kong is actually the number two McDonald's market. Do we know what the number one is? Uh, probably America. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just curious. Uh, where, yeah. I'm, I'm not even I'm not even entirely sure of the Hong Kong thing. So there, there's a lot of other factors that we don't understand. But if we just take this more or less at face value, cost of goods is relatively unaffected. And then the profitability isn't uh, isn't necessarily affected. In the interest of advancing a better society that meets the needs of all people in America, a change to the minimum wage can do nothing but improve quality of life for all Americans, including the people who are not working in fast food. Right. A rising tide lifts all boats. Right. So some of the memes that you see associated with this discussion are comparisons of a $15 40 hour work week to say military monthly wages of mm. uh, private. And basically the argument there is that people who work in fast food are less deserving than military people of these wages. So until you take care of the military, you can't address minimum wage and fast food, but actually it's the other way around because yeah. if you have a choice between going off to die in war And maybe flipping burgers for a few years or flipping burgers for the rest of your life, even you might not go run off to war. Yeah, I think this um, I've heard this argument along other policy lines, too. So it just sounds like the people who make this or the people who kind of share this, they're looking for a reason to to not raise the minimum wage. And I think, you know, you mentioned the military. We got to take care of we got to take care of our boys first, you know, or. But that's just it. They're not they're not proposing anything. They're not proposing. Right. They're not proposing military pay increases. What they're saying is that the military is the benchmark and nobody that we deem as less than the military. And by the way, given what we know about their views of fast food workers, that doesn't say a lot for their actual view of the military. (laughs) Really, it doesn't. 
they're, they're worried that burger flippers are going to make more money than the military. They're not worried about police making more money than the military, dentists making more money than the military. They're not worried about Jeff Bezos making more money than the military. But athletes, athletes, athletes. They well, they are a little bit concerned about black athletes making more than the military. I wonder what's at play there. I've seen uh, along the refugee debate. I've seen memes talk about veterans before refugees. We got to take care of our veterans before refugees. Yeah, so we're not we're people, not taking care of our veterans and we're sending money overseas. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. We should do a whole episode on on international aid. Yeah. Foreign <laughs> aid. Or just the military being inserted in completely unrelated debates. Say Colin Kaepernick yeah. protesting against police violence is somehow disrespectful to the military. Not at all. Not to me. Not to us. Some people do do find offense at that uh, because yeah. it has to do with the flag. Meanwhile, I see the flag on beer koozies and fucking boxer shorts. Well, you so. know, everyone knows that veterans are actually made of flags. That's what makes yeah, them no, special. I, yeah, I bleed red, white, and blue, and that's not hyperbole. You bleed. You bleed red, but your blood is red, white, and blue. Yes. Yeah. I don't. I mean, is blood white blood cells? White blood cells. So I guess so. Yeah. White blood cells, red blood cells, and then blue unoxygenated blood, all getting along in the same melting pot. <laughs> as far as to to wrap up the the concept of the military being somehow offended by fast food workers getting a living wage, which is fucking insane. I would say that as soon as the military stops meeting its recruiting quotas, because people are like, oh. I think I would rather cook fries for people. And and what happens is those military benefits, those military compensation models are going to be adjusted. Yeah. Based on recruiting goals and retention goals. We've seen this with there's a fighter pilot shortage in the military and a helicopter pilot shortage in the army specifically. And what they're doing is just throwing money at the problem because turns out that works. Right. They also want to make sure they're getting their return on their investment. So actually, the army just recently uh, this year, I want to say, or maybe last year, they recently upped the active duty service requirement for uh, officers branching aviation to 10 years active duty service obligation. So if you want to be a pilot, an officer, a commissioned officer in the Army, you got to do 10 years. And I think that calculus is baked into the model of the United States military. Yeah. So if someone's going to get paid more money to fly TWA or American Airlines, they're giving forty thousand dollars sign on bonuses, right, for people who qualify for these specific jobs. Yeah. So the, the military does react to market forces. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think my frustration with the fifteen dollar uh, minimum wage as a flat minimum wage is not just that it's not being passed, but I think that the proposal itself is flawed. Yeah. The, the idea that fifteen dollars an hour is good for someone in Scranton, Pennsylvania, is good for is, is also good for someone in downtown Los Angeles doesn't really jive. It doesn't at all. So what I think is interesting is if you start exploring minimum wages in other countries like I have <laughs> through the glory of the Big Mac index, <laughs> what you find is that minimum wage in other countries, other developed modern nations where quality of living is high, they actually have fairly complex minimum wage systems. And some of them, some yeah. of those countries have no minimum wage at all. And you might be thinking, but wait, there must be more. And <laughs> there is. <laughs> there was actually a recent Wheat. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of our more progressive members of the U.S. House, tweeted, it is utterly embarrassing that, quote, pay people enough to live is a stance that's even up for debate. Override the parliamentarian and raise the wage. Mickey D's workers in Denmark are paid $22 an hour plus six week paid vacation. $15 yeah, an hour is a deep compromise, a big one, considering the phase in. So overriding the parliamentarian, now we know that is a there aren't 50 votes in the Senate, let alone 60 votes. So the parliamentarian is an unelected person that kind of just made a decision or made a determination that the $50 minimum wage could not be a standalone issue in the Senate. And people were calling on Kamala Harris to, Vice President Kamala Harris, to override it. And it wouldn't have mattered if she overrode it because there weren't enough votes to begin with. The parliamentarian ruled that it couldn't be included in the omnibus bill, which which only needs 51 votes to pass. With, and we've known there are not 51 votes in the Senate with even with Kamala Harris. Yeah. If you look at the actual claim here, Mickey D's workers in Denmark are paid twenty two dollars an hour plus six weeks of paid vacation, which is crazy. Other countries, European countries, ones with strong welfare states, just they blow it out of the water. I mean, like more than a month national standard paid vacation is mind blowing to me. I, I can't imagine our country ever, ever, ever get, getting to that point, which is wild. Which is wild yeah. because it totally makes sense. Their workers are happier. They are happier. Yeah. Here's the cool thing about Denmark, though. Denmark doesn't have a minimum wage. 
So this is a, this is a libertarian's dream now. But they're but they're paid twenty two dollars an hour, even though there is no there is not a minimum. There wage. is no minimum wage. There is a national mandate five weeks of vacation. However, the very strong labor union that represents McDonald's employees have negotiated for an additional week of vacation, and the base pay is about twenty dollars an hour. However, McDonald's employees average more than that because they also get paid for evening work, night work. They get paid additionally for seniority and they also get paid holidays. So there's a lot of OT being accrued overtime for those of you who work salary. Yeah, Denmark doesn't have an uh, hourly minimum wage, but they do have a minimum salary for full time positions, which if you're working, if you're working a part time fast food, you're probably left out of that. I think that's a little, that's a fair way to, to say it. Yes, yeah. because but if you're a salaried worker, you, there is a minimum wage in these Nordic states. And I think this is also true in uh in Norway, the union is really providing that function of setting a minimum wage because they have so much power. Again, unlike us. Yeah. So even though they don't have a minimum wage, they don't need one because they have a labor market that is essentially being self-regulated by unions. However, in the United States, I don't know if our listeners know this, but unions have been on the decline partly due to being attacked from the right. So the people who want free markets don't want workers to have a voice in that free market. I would also say that people paying union dues has just dropped off precipitously the last several decades. So not only are there attacks on it, but public opinion is a lot of Americans don't like unions. Yeah, they uh, Americans have been more or less, you know, we can take this right back to the Reagan administration. You know, the, the Reagan administration proposed this sort of laissez-faire free market trickle down theory where rich people are just going to reward you if you show up to work enough instead of forcing them to do it by union contract. Yeah, yeah. By government enforceable union contracts. Right. So that's what I find frustrating about the $15 minimum wage as a flat as a flat rate, considering there are so many ways to attack a catch all solution that really doesn't fit every situation perfectly. So what we need is something probably a little bit more robust, a little bit more nuanced, That accounts for regional differences because the minimum wage in a place like Los Angeles or Manhattan should be considerably higher than $15. But in West Virginia, I believe a living wage, according to some research, is about $13 an hour, which is still Mm. well above the current minimum wage. $7.25 is the national standard. They went at this and they lowered the minimum wage, but also indexed it to inflation and provided for cost of living adjustment or COLA. Then what we would have is a more acceptable system. We could essentially backdoor a minimum wage in just by saying, well, the minimum wage is $12, but we're going to adjust based on local cost of living. Local cost of living in most places is going to put that minimum wage at or above $15 an hour. But Republicans can campaign that they shot down the $15 minimum wage, even if the $15 minimum wage hits in locations where they're uh, where they're trying to appeal to their voters. Yeah, we were talking about this recently. Republicans like to campaign on not doing on not governing and more crusading on moral issues, cultural issues. And Democrats campaign on getting a lot of shit done. And then just, and then they, they just don't. Right? <laughs> well, not, neither of them actually neither of them actually accomplish what they say they're trying to do. Yeah. But because the Ever. because the moral concerns are perpetual. You can campaign on it indefinitely, but when you're campaigning on economic opportunity and equality and you don't figure that shit out, your voters stop showing up. I would say I think the average American voter votes more on identity than they do along policy lines. I think it's more important for a lot of people to vote for Team Blue or Team Red than it is for them to vote for a $15 minimum wage or for direct cash payment stimulus or for people have picked a team, right? Yeah. Team sport. And that's. That's kind of where we're at right now, where just about everything is a culture war. And I think that's yeah. that's slightly more true on the right than the left, because the, the right. Oh, for sure. Well, both sides have been waging a culture war since basically World War Two. Yeah. The culture war on the left is tied very closely to economic policies that benefit people. And the culture war on the right is a distraction from economic policies that benefit the rich. <laughs> And I, I, I think that's the primary difference. Like, personally, what I'd like to see is a like a twelve dollar minimum wage with a with all adjustment. And we have the data because if you're a military, uh, if you're in the military yep. or if you're a federal employee, you get cost of living adjustment. Your BAH, which is your basic allowance for housing or your BAS, basic allowance for sustenance are based on the 
uh, cost of living in the area that you were stationed. The zip code. And actually, yeah. the GI Bill, the monthly pay you get is what a sergeant, an E5, would make in whatever zip code your college is. And so I think we're already, there's already a system in place to do this. Uh, I mean, I have a civilian job now. I actually get a cost of living adjustment for living in Washington, D.C. So we talked a lot about different ways that the minimum wage can be organized through government mandated minimum wages or through union negotiated minimum wages. But what it comes down to is the nut at the center of this claim that we see in all these memes on the Internet is that if you pay a higher minimum wage, the cost of goods and services will go up. I think this definitely flies in the face of the libertarian and conservative argument that the market is self-correcting and the market is a more efficient way of organizing an economy than governments do. So even if you create a situation in which goods and services are being inflated, the market is going to self-correct on its own. I think I think that is like, like yeah, why, why I, wouldn't that why wouldn't that happen? I, I think anytime you make any sort of drastic or fundamental change in any system, there's going to be a period of turbulence before things rebalance. Anytime the government interferes in anything, it's going to screw somebody over at least temporarily until the system adapts. Yeah, yeah. But I think that there's truth to those claims in the sense that those cost of goods could go up, but the buying power of the people purchasing those goods is also going to go up. Yeah, I would say, well, if you're like an armchair philosopher sitting around worried that you're Big Mac is going to be too expensive or you can't afford a wrench because someone at the, at the concession stand is making a little more money. You're an asshole. And I wouldn't mind paying for a $15 wrench if it meant, you know, everyone in my neighborhood could eat and afford rent. Where Matt is an armchair philosopher, I'm an Ottoman economist. Oh, very nice. Not to be confused with the Turkish economist. Oh, well, yeah, I feel like they're not they're, um <laughs> I'm speaking specifically of the armless, backless chair, nay, footstool. It's the place you sit at the party when you run out of real seats. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's our episode. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. I feel awesome about it. Um, thank you for guiding me through this web of entanglements, if you will. Yeah, well, thank you for being a friend. Oh, well, th thank you for thanking me. Oh. On that note. Let's say thank you to Rick Reynolds for the use of his song United from the album Portals in Progress, available on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and anywhere else you might download an MP3 in exchange for money. Big fan of Rick. Thanks. We really appreciate it. All right. And if you think we got something wrong, miss something, or if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we encourage you to reach out to us at WreckYourPod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and also our email address, which is breakyourpod at gmail.com. And we also have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. So make sure you're liking our page and please join our group. Yeah, And if you don't have time to do that, just listen to an entire episode of our podcast and leave us a five star review. And then tell a friend to do the same thing. After you tell your friend, stand over them, watch them download <laughs> the episode, listen to it in its entirety, and then watch them leave a five-star review and i don't know maybe toss a few superlatives their way like greatest or well hung or wellianist how about dope af oh yeah yeah you know i i would say that i'm pretty dope i definitely know you're pretty dope so. i'm i'm dope af in it fact, shakes out in fact i'm hashtag dope af maybe we should we should use that hey when you review our podcast and share it on twitter and instagram if you could just Hashtag dope AF us. That would make us feel not as old as we are. Yeah, I would really love it if someone referred to me as dope AF. Hashtag dope AF. That's how I know yeah. I'd, I've arrived. We do not currently have a TikTok, so please do not steal our social media handle before we get to it. <laughs> if you find yourself later this week on the Internet staring at something that seems too right, too wrong, too good to be true, too weird, and you're wondering whether you should click that share button and spread that information to other people, and you don't have time to drop us a line to ask for advice, check yourself. Don't wreck yourself. We are united, but we're so far apart, and it won't change till we change. We are, but we won't. Oh. Longest outro ever. Bump, 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 bump. All right, we're done.